I'm Doug Keck, and welcome once again to EWTN's Bookmark. Our guest author and old friend Kenneth J. Hal, who along with Joseph Crownwood, wrote the book Mystery of the Altar, Daily Meditations on the Eucharist, published by Emmaus Road Publishing, available through our EWTN Religious Catalog, EWTNRC.com, all things Catholic. Great to see you, Thank you. Mr. Ken Hal. It's good been, to be with you. It's been, been, been a while. It has been, yes. Well, I mean, I remember first meeting you probably uh, with Marcus Grodi in the late 90s, uh, came yeah. here with... Uh, you run with Mother Angelica and Marcus, and I remember part of the Coming Home Network early on. And uh, yeah, it was a wonderful experience. It's good to be back. So, what have you been doing? Well, I, I went soon after that to teach at the University of Illinois, mm -hmm. and work at the uh, Catholic Center there, um, and head up a, a Catholic a program for Catholic students. Uh, continued to do research and writing, uh, but then uh, transitioned out of that, and now I'm sort of retired. Uh, but at the same time, the purpose, the reason I retired is so I could write more right, right. and get these books out. Well, do you so, feel retired when you have to write? Or do you just oh, love yeah. writing so much? Oh, I love it so much. It's just like, to me, it's like leisure, you know. So uh, writing to you comes more naturally. You enjoy it more than actually teaching? No. Or do you see you, it as teaching? Yeah, it's, it's a form of teaching. Yeah, exactly. And uh, no, in fact, over the years, I've came come to the realization that People can read books and they can get things out of them, um, but a good teacher mm -hmm. is indispensable. Right. It's a little bit like, you know, you pick up a Latin book and you start trying to teach yourself Latin, you can do it. Mm -hmm. But if you had somebody who had experience and enthusiasm, um, it would be much better. Right. So they complement one another. Good. That's why we have so much programming like that, hopefully, on EWT and people participate and enjoy. And Mystery of the Altar, Daily Meditations on the Eucharist. Is it me, or is there a sense out there that we we need to recapture the importance of the Eucharist for the for the health of the church? Oh, I think it's clear that there is a that need is there, mm -hmm. uh, both in terms of understanding and in terms of devotion. What's encouraging, at least in many dioceses, the ones that I've seen, including my own parish, is that there's a renewed sense of the dignity of the Mass, mm -hmm. and um, the importance of preparation for the Mass. Um, again, it's a slow process, mm -hmm. but I'm, I'm really excited to see that, uh, especially some of the younger mm -hmm. people, by younger I mean, let's say 40 and under, mm -hmm. people with their young families right. are beginning to refocus on the importance of Christ's presence in the Eucharist. Mm -hmm. um, the surveys that have been done have shown very clearly, I think, that many American Catholics are woefully ignorant of what the Eucharist is and why it's that way. And right. they think it's maybe made up or something. I don't know exactly what they Right, think. or some spiritual thing, sort of, at yeah. best case. <laughs> and uh, as I was talking to somebody one time, it's not as much the loss of the sense of the Eucharist, it's having never really been taught mm. the truth about the Eucharist in many young people's lives. Yeah, there's truth. And I think there's, there's reasons for it that we haven't yet probed very well. Um, I'm working on another book right now on St. John Chrysostom, mm -hmm. the Eastern Greek father, about the Eucharist. And one of the things that he makes very clear is that in order to understand the Eucharist, you have to divide the world in your mind not into two, mm -hmm. physical and spiritual, but physical, metaphysical, and spiritual. Because Christ's presence is not just something in our minds mm -hmm. that we think about the bread and the wine that way, it's a metaphysical, a 
ontological presence mm -hmm. that goes beyond the physical. And we really believe this, but we don't think about the fact that we believe it. I mean, for example, in talking to you, am I talking to eyes and nose and a mouth? Mm -hmm. Am I talking to skin? Or am I talking to a person? Mm -hmm. well, you're a person. And, right. th and that's something that goes beyond your physical being. Well, we, we deal with a lot of dualism today where there's kind of spirituality in the physical. Yeah, as if exactly. they're all, they're all right. separate. Right. Now, in the preface, you said, the following pages seek to manifest the Eucharistic faith of the church as has been expressed by the saints of every generation. You arranged it in accordance with the liturgical calendar so that the Blessed Sacrament might be contemplated in relation to the feasts and seasons of the church. Why? So when you did that, how long did it take you to put this together? Well, it took about two or three years in the end, but there was a lot of preparation for that. Uh, I believe it's very providential how God brought my Joseph, my, my co-author, and me together. Mm -hmm. um, I've been working on the Church Fathers, translating Greek and Latin passages about the Eucharist for mm -hmm. maybe 10 years, unsure of where all this was going to go. Mm -hmm. And then when yeah, I met... because it's peppered throughout this book. Yeah, exactly. Right, I can see. And right. I mean, some of these, these translations go back almost 20 years. Right, and um, also even you make the point yeah. about understanding the Greek Fathers understanding of certain uses of terminology versus it's the Latin. It's different than the West. Yes, to, that's right. To make a clearer understanding of what they're talking about. Yeah, exactly. And um, so when Thomas and I met one another, I share, he asked, well, you're a writer. What are you writing? And so I told him that I had this idea about a book like this with daily readings in the Eucharist. And he said, well, I've been working on something very similar. Really? Okay. He was working on modern authors. I was working on ancient authors. We collaborated and worked on medieval authors. And we decided we were going to put readings in here from every century of the church. So going back to the second century, post-New Testament, second century right up to the 21st. We have one from John Paul II in 2003 or so. Right. So in other words, we want, and part of our goal in this was to get people to. You also have Mother Teresa in here. I'm pretty yes, sure I well, think we do. Yes. Uh -huh. uh, one of the things that we do, we wanted to do, is give people a, a sense of history, because and the continuity exactly of the teaching, right? Right, exactly. Because mm -hmm. I mean, this is one of the reasons I became a Catholic back in 1996 was I saw this continuity of the teaching of the faith for 20 centuries, mm -hmm. and. And I'd always had an inclination that, well, look, if you're going to be a Christian, you really have to be with Jesus and the apostles and, you know, the great fathers of the church. Mm -hmm. Well, came to my surprise, I found out, well, it's the Roman Catholic Church mm -hmm. that really has that continuity over time. And John Henry Newman saw that back in, right. you know, 1845 or so. You so. say here this collection may serve as a devotional for the laity, we hope our audience, of course, a homiletic resource uh, for priests or a catalog of Eucharistic texts for contemplation. You talked about it, and is what you just related. The earliest documents of the church express a clear understanding of the sacrificial dimension of the Mass. It's interesting, then you go through, when you say the medieval period talks of, you know, you've got the doctrine of transubstantiation mm -hmm. and the public exposition of the Blessed Sacrament, the Feast of Corpus Christi. And then the last one I want to ask you about, because you said modern writers have focused more clearly or nearly on the relational dimensions of the Eucharist. What does that mean? Well, I think what's, what, there's three aspects, of course, to the Eucharist. There's the presence of Christ in the Eucharist, and that's the presence of Him as divinity and humanity, God and man. And so His, but then there's the sacrificial nature of that because 
everything in his human life is also present in the Eucharist, mm -hmm. meaning his death and resurrection as well. Uh, and But then there's the third, and that's communion. Now, communion has to do with the relational, our relation to God. I think, uh, though I'm not an expert on this, but I think since the Second Vatican Council, many theological teachers have focused a lot on that third element of communion. And so I think that's one of the reasons why, um, for example, we, we have a more, um, oh, we have what I would think of as being maybe a less God-focus mm -hmm. in the, our Eucharistic celebration. More horizontal. More horizontal. And I think it would be better for us to get back to that, you know, vertical God-centered. Right. But not or at least for, get not, a better balance going. Well, yeah, exactly, right, and, right. and not not neglecting the other as right. well. But uh, once we're in union with God, then we are motivated from the inside to be in relationship with all other people. And so, I think the the communion flows out of the first two: mm -hmm. the reality of Christ, the reality of a sacrifice present in the Mass. We commune with that, and therefore. We are made one with the whole body of Christ across the earth. Right. Now, in the beginning, because you go through day by day here in the feast day, in the solemnity of Mary, Mother of God on January 1st, you have a quote here. It said, The Word made flesh in Nazareth is no less present on the altar at Holy Mass. And Saint, this is your point. You say St. John Chrysostom, 349 to 407, reflects on the gravity of approaching this burning table of sacrifice cautioning Christians to prepare for the coming of so great a king. Yeah. To make the, the point of the incredible importance of something that many times we don't pay a lot of attention to. <laughs> yeah. Boy, that you, you hit it on the you hit the nail on the head. And it's interesting again in this book that I'm working on right now, uh, St. John Chrysostom says that one of the greatest problems in huma human life, one of the greatest sins of our life is not the great things that we think of, you know, adultery and drunkenness and all of these other things. It's indifference. Mm -hmm. It's apathy. It's not caring about and knowing what is really important and focusing on what is most important. And so in, often in its homilies, as in these other writers, they will say things like, well, th this is the greatest moment of our life on earth when we can receive the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, when we can be in communion with God Himself mm -hmm. in the deepest possible way in this life so that we can prepare for that deeper communion in the life to come. A little different take, January 4th Memorial of St. Elizabeth Ann Seton, you talk about her, her example of, just as an ear of corn grows by a hidden power, so does the Eucharist invisibly work in souls, yeah. bringing them to maturity. Yeah, it's an interesting way of thinking. Yeah, about that's it. a beautiful thing. I think, and I think the, um, you don't see that as much in in the West, but you do see that in the East more. This is the doctrine of deification. Mm -hmm. In other words, it's which can be very confusing to people, especially during New Age yeah, days. Where, yeah, because you know, they think they think it means we become God. God. Right. or gods, you know. Right, right. And no, it, what it means is that God is going to uh, permeate our human nature with his divine nature, and that's what heaven is. Now, I remember when I was a little boy, you know, I was about five years old, and I was beginning to love baseball. Mm -hmm. And uh, one day, my mother, a very good Christian, Presbyterian Christian, mm -hmm. uh, I said to her, Mom, I don't want to go to heaven. And she said, what? <laughs> you don't want to go to heaven? Why not? And I said, because they don't play baseball in heaven, you know. <laughs> 
<laughs> so, uh, but the experience of heaven is going to be so far beyond anything we can even dream of mm -hmm. in terms of the ecstasy of knowing God. But we can't get there unless He first comes and fills our lives with Himself. Mm -hmm. That's grace. And He takes us up. And really that's what she's talking about, that in this life, day by day, living in space and time, the Eucharist is shaping us and forming us. And St. Irenaeus says this very thing in Against Heresies in the second century. He says that the Eucharist actually prepares our body for the resurrection. And so what, what these teachers are showing us is that it's like medicine. You know how sometimes the doctor will say, now you might start feeling better, but be sure to take all of your medicine, right? Well, that's the Eucharist. It's our medicine. And we have to take all of it in order for that that uh, healing process to go deep down in our soul so that our souls can be prepared for the next life. And that's the problem. Sometimes we feel better than we think we don't need it and then we go off on our own. Yeah, exactly. And sometimes uh, it then can be too late <laughs> right, before yeah. we realize what's going on. And of course, we feel the dreams now, you feel better about heaven, right? You know, there's something going on there. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> okay, so on January 6th, the Feast of the Epiphany, you have St. John Christendom. And you say, St. John likens the adoration, I thought this was interesting, the Magi, to the divine liturgies itself. Yeah. For the Magi's worship of the Christ child does not differ in essence from the daily approach to the altar. Yeah, yeah. The, the, the gospel stories are for many of the church fathers, most of them, in fact, uh, not just accounts about something that happened in history, they're mysteries to be lived and to be relived. And so the story of the Magi is the story of all pagans. I'm a pagan. My parents, my grand, my, my ancestors were Irish and Welsh and Scottish. I came from a pagan background. But that pagan background doesn't keep me from coming to, to that manger. Because the same presence that was that baby in the manger is the presence of Christ in the Eucharist. So in coming to the Eucharist, it's like the Magi coming to the manger in Bethlehem. On January 8th, you talk about the Didache, yeah. uh, one of the oldest Christian documents known to the fathers of the church, but lost. I didn't realize it was only found in 1875 that they re rediscovered yeah. it, you said. With detailed descriptions of early church liturgy, well, some had imagined first century Christian worship, I'm assuming you did too, yeah. to be spontaneous and free-flowing. The Eucharistic prayers recorded in Didache ex exhibit a strikingly similarity with the contemporary liturgical texts. You go on to yeah. quote, let no one eat or drink of your Eucharist except those who are baptized in the name of the Lord. Yeah, yeah. In other words, these prescriptions about the proper way to celebrate the Eucharist have apparently been there from the very beginning. This, the Didache, I think, is evidence of that. And this is a powerful document. We knew of the existence of this document. Mm -hmm. It's also called the Teaching of the Twelve Apostles. Right. And uh, we knew of the existence because ancient writers referred they to referred it. They referred to it, but right? we didn't have a copy of it. But we didn't have a copy of it. Mm -hmm. And then uh, Bayanius, I've forgotten his last name, was a, a, a arch, an Orthodox Archbishop, was in Constantinople, a library in 1875, and he started reading this codex and he said, oh my, this is probably the ancient Didache. Mm -hmm. Studied intensely for several years. All scholars came to the same conclusion. Yep, this document is the same as those ancient authors was talking about. That's the ones that we're referring to. So we just jumped back from, let's say, St. Justin Martyr, mm -hmm. who wrote around 150, 
back to the Didache, which could have been 100. It might even have been as early as 50 mm -hmm. A.D. So we're, we're, we're back in the apostolic times, and we're, it's clear from the, the writing itself that these were prescriptions for priests or pastors of churches, just how they were to celebrate the Eucharist. Right. And the word already here is being used most probably as a technical term, the Eucharist, as right. opposed to just Thanksgiving, something like that. January 13th, the Memorial of St. Hilary of Poitiers, bishop and doctor. You talk about uh, known for his defense of the Trinity against the Arian yeah. heresy, talks about the consubstantial union of the Father and Son as well as the real presence of Christ in the Eucharist, emphasizing the profound union between God and man in Holy Communion. Yeah. Now this is interesting because he's doing something similar to what St. Irenaeus is going to do maybe 30 years later. And what he's arguing in this passage against the Arians is that they said that the union between the Father and the Son is one of will. It's like you and I might agree that we're going to do something. So, but we're not the same, you know, well, in a way we're the same nature, but mm -hmm. we might say, well, we don't share the same nature. That's what they said. Mm -hmm. Hillary is saying, no, no, the Father and the Son have the same nature. How do we know that? Because Christ is in us and we are in Him, and we are united to Him in our nature, not just in our will. And I came interestingly to see that when I was a Protestant, that's a more or less the Protestant idea of union with Christ is one of the will. Mm -hmm. But the Catholic idea, and I think the true idea, mm -hmm. is that we are united with Christ in our nature. Our human nature is united to his divine nature. And if that's true, Hillary says, then it's certainly true that someone so far above us, mm -hmm. the Father and the Son, are united in their nature. That is, they share the same nature. And therefore, he is the only one who could be our Redeemer because he is both fully man and fully God. You also have a quote here from Augustine that I thought was an interesting analogy that apparently he made. St. Augustine thus explains that as the Jews were baptized in the Red Sea, leading them to the manna, this is January 21st. Nicodemus is told he must be baptized in Christ, leading him to the Eucharist. <laughs> yeah, 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 that's right. Well, the, the church fathers over and over again, Augustine, uh, St. Saint, uh, Saint John Chrysostom, others, they, they see all of the events, especially of the Passover, the giving of the man in the desert and so forth, as being harbingers of something greater to come. In other words, when we ask the question, why did God choose to redeem the children of Israel the way that he did? Mm -hmm. By allowing them to be in slavery, coming out through the Red Sea, because he knew, as they did not, that there was someday going to come the fulfillment of all redemption in Christ. And that what he was going to leave us in this interim period between his first and his second coming, he was going to leave us the waters that are not just waters of a sea, mm -hmm but actually regenerate our soul, and the manna that feeds us not just in this life, but for the life to come. The Eucharist is the bread of angels, as Psalm 78 says. Uh, you talk about uh, St. Thomas Aquinas, and uh, you've got uh, Thomas provides a philosophical explanation of transubstantiation. We, we sort mm -hmm. of hear more about that today. Yeah. Yet this change is not 
like natural changes, but is entirely supernatural and affected by God's power alone. Hence, Ambrose says, see how Christ's word changes nature's law as yeah. he wills. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, this is, a, and this is what I think we need to appreciate. I think we, we would regain a sense of, of deep reverence for the sacrament when we understand that what takes place in such an ordinary looking way when a man stands in front of an altar and says, this is my body, this is my blood, I mean, it looks like a human act. But it's Christ going against nature, as it were, mm -hmm. and transforming the nature of the bread and the wine into something that they are not. And that is the substance of his body and his blood. Transubstantiation, I think, is really misunderstood mm -hmm. uh, because it, there's two things that we need to avoid, and, and really all theology is like this. It's trying to avoid the things that are on the fringes, the wrong things, without necessarily saying what we know exactly what it is. The church is not saying we know exactly what transubstantiation is. What it's saying is this. On the one hand, we know that it's not just a symbol. It's not just a, you know, it's bread that sort of represents Jesus. On the other hand... Transignification or something Yeah, exactly, like right. But it, on the other hand, it's not exactly the same body that was with Jesus when he was on earth. Mm -hmm. But what is it? Well, it's the substance that is beneath the appearances. So if Jesus were sitting with us today, I mean, he would look like you and me. He'd look like a man. But who is he? Well, he's really God in the flesh. And just in the same sense that your personhood is invisible to me, his divinity is invisible is invisible to us and therefore can only be communicated through some physical means. Now, the, um, I think the interesting question is, why eating? Why a meal? And that is because we understand growth and perfection and nurture through eating. So it's our human limitations that we needed to have this. In heaven, we won't need it. Because there, well, the contemplation of God, like the angels have, that's the bread of angels, is the contemplation of God. St. Augustine says that in another quotation. But what we need on earth now is a way of ingesting God. And so that's what the Eucharist is about. Panis Angelicus, which, uh, of course, you, <laughs> yeah. Aquinas, and you talk about him. You also, I wanted to jump to this one, Pope uh, St. John Paul II on February 1st, since you mentioned him earlier, and so many people have, have had their faith strengthened by his great teaching. Yeah. He says, the church draws her life from the Eucharist. This yeah. truth does not simply express a daily experience of faith, but recapitulates the heart of the mystery of the church. Oh, that is so important. One of the great developments of the theology in the 19th and 20th centuries uh, in the West has been a understanding of the church as the mystical body of Christ. Now, Paul certainly teaches this, but it wasn't explicated very well by the theologians until maybe in the modern times. What he's saying is this. He's saying that we should not think of the church, one, as like the Elks Club. We shouldn't think of the church as a business, mm -hmm. primarily. Now, it has that aspect, of course, because we live in the physical world. But it isn't that. It isn't, it isn't even a juridical entity. You know, like a corporation is a, is a legal person, right? But it's not that. What is it? It's a living, breathing reality of God, of Christ Jesus, 
in the world working through the human members of the church. And it's only by understanding the mystery of the church that we can understand how you and I, as baptized Catholics, are one with people all over the world, different languages, different backgrounds. We're one in the body of Christ. It's the Eucharist that makes us that one body. I love this one, uh, February 20th, Memorial of uh, Saint, uh, Saints Francisco and Jacinta Marto. And of course, uh, Sister Lucia recounts her conversations with yeah. Saint Francisco. She says, I thought this was so nice. When he fell ill, he often told me when I called in to see him on his way to school, look, go to the church and give my love to the hidden <laughs> Jesus. Yeah, yeah. What hurts me most is that I cannot go there and stay a while with the hidden Jesus. Yeah, the hidden Jesus. Is that what you're picking up on? Right. Yeah, that's beautiful, yeah. Um, of course, we remember that wonderful hymn that St. Thomas said, Adore te devote, I adore you. Latins de tas, hidden God, right? And there's a reason for that. Why the hidden Jesus? Mm -hmm. Because if Jesus showed himself to us, we would be so overwhelmed. You know, it says no one can see God and live, right? If we saw Jesus in all of his greatness and his mm -hmm. divinity, we would not be able to stand it. It would just knock us silly. Mm -hmm. But he, Jesus hides himself, and that's God's way. He comes as a baby in a manger. He dies as a man on a cross. He hides himself under the appearances of bread and wine. Mm -hmm. But what the reality is, is that he at the same time is giving himself to us constantly. And that's what I think little Francisco understood, right. is that Jesus was there giving himself in this hidden way. Absolutely, and, and we also know about the angel of peace and that whole sequence with uh, getting communion and, yeah, yeah. and the importance of that. Of course, we're out of time. You mentioned you had another book in the works. Yeah, um, I've tentatively titled it Golden Mouth, Golden Chalice. Because St. John Chrysostom, Chrysostom means golden mouth. That was a name that was given to him by Pope Virgilius. Um, but very few scholars, funny, have done works about his, his Eucharistic teaching. So this one's a little bit more scholarly, but I'm going to try to explicate that, uh, especially for Western Christians, because he's an Eastern Greek-speaking father, and show the commonality that it's truly Catholic. The faith is one across the globe. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank and a you, for your fine work with this book, Great along with you. Joseph Crownwood, Mystery of the Altar, Daily Meditations on the Eucharist, Emmaus Road Publishing, available naturally through the EWTN Religious Catalog, EWTNRC.com, all things Catholic. I'm Doug Keck. Join us next time right here on Bookmark.